2: All right. If you've seen RJ Barrett's pink suit that he wore to the draft or the formal wear he's been wearing in the tunnel walks and other events, those are all Indochino suits and blazers. Indochino is really cool. You, you go online and you give your measurements and they're like 17 measurements. I was not expecting to fill out that much, but they measure you in all these different places to make sure that it's tailored just right for you. Indochina is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. Plus, you get to personalize all of the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. R.J. Barrett's brand new collection with Indochino just dropped, featuring limited edition fabrics and jacket linings R.J. helped pick out and design. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all yourself at Indochino.com. Right now you can get $30 off of your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Bluewire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BlueWire, all one word, for $30 off of your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made to measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit.
0: What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore.
2: Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by Indochino, Harry's and Roman. We want to talk a little bit about Kyle Kuzma today. He has spent the first two years of his career, remember, as the 27th pick out of Utah, a guy who several of the draft Knicks that I followed were kind of skeptical on. He came out like gangbusters in that first summer league. Remember how fun that was? This like six foot nine clay just flinging it, flinging it all over the court. And you know, he has this early chemistry with Lonzo, has his big rookie year, makes all rookie first team. This kid is just a bucket coming out of the gates and nobody saw it coming. Even those who liked him didn't see him being able to do that. Then last year, he shows some really good chemistry with LeBron, but his jumper goes away and he's still kind of miscast as this power forward, really gets pushed around in the paint. And, We come into this year, he has this stress reaction in his foot, not entirely a stress fracture, but bad enough for him to miss a considerable amount of time. He missed Team USA, missed the training camp preseason for several games. He's been back for three games. I say all of that, Darius, to set the environment for Kuz in that he's now on this team that's playing for something and this team full of veterans. What have you seen from him?
1: What have I seen from him? That's very open ended.
2: Um I talked for a while so I wanted n- to get No. It. <laughs> no,
1: it's good. It's um it's it's good that you talked a while because it's bad
2: what I've seen from him. Most of it's been bad. Give me a specific. Give me something specific that's like this is important and it needs to be addressed in order for things to go the way we want them to go. Well,
1: like I mean, he really hasn't been doing anything. That well, so far, his jumper is not falling. So let me take a step back. Everything that you said about Kuz is accurate in terms of his rise and sort of how he built his name. And a lot of the things that we saw from him that were positives were almost always placed against the caveat of he was the 27th pick in his draft class, right? And there was always this sense about him that he was outperforming his draft class. By the time you get to year three, I don't think your draft class matters as much anymore when observers have, have a sense of sort of what you're capable of and what your potential trajectory is. When we talk about Kuzma, I think one of the things that we often have done is try to properly balance the positives of his game with the negatives of his game. But those positives, like I said, were always sort of propped up by the fact of where he was drafted. And his negatives were always sort of framed within the context of the Lakers being this young team. So, Fast forward now to the point that you just made about the Lakers having something to play for this year. And what have I seen from Kyle Kuzma? What I've seen is a lot of the negatives from his game are carrying over and the positives that you would want to see haven't yet resurfaced.
2: I I think his negatives are shining brighter. They've always been there. They've always been the same things. It's just He's around like really good players who are veterans who make those mistakes less often. So he sticks out more like a sore thumb now for doing the same things he's always done.
1: Well, it's very similar to the conversation that we've been having the last couple of weeks about JaVale McGee to a certain extent, right? Like most of the things we were talking about with JaVale were defensive issues and how this team has been one of the top defensive teams, either ranked one or two, pretty much in defensive efficiency for the first couple weeks of the season. And the player who's and when you have a defense that's good, a lot of times it's based off of the limitation of mistakes and how smart the individual defenders are not only within the context of what they're doing against their own man, but how they operate within the team scheme. And JaVale has often been this sort of up and down defensive player who can make highlight plays, but the technique and tactics that he employs in in order to execute those highlight plays are sort of deficiencies within the context of a team scheme or even what he might do
2: against his own individual man. It's kind of this high risk, high reward type of defender.
1: Yeah, right. And and we don't need to get into some of the things that JaVale does, but those things that he does do, they just sort of stand out in this crowd of other three or four or five man lineups where a lot of these guys aren't making some of these same mistakes. And some of the things that Kuzma's doing are standing out in very similar ways, whether it's a uh, shot selection, whether it's some of his defensive issues and some of the rotations that he is or is not making, his shot pass decision-making, right? Which isn't always the same as shot selection. These are all things that are highlighted as negatives for me right now. And that's a tough thing when you're playing now On a team with a bunch of veteran players who are mostly making the right decisions more often than not, even if the team's offensive issues are still prevalent, right, in terms of shots not falling and, and where their general level of efficiency is compared to their overall talent level.
2: Do you think these elements of Kuzma's game that we're seeing and we're concerned by, how much of it is... This will be better in 20 games when he has his conditioning, his rhythm, when it just feels like the regular part of the season, because it probably isn't considering how far how much he missed. Right. So how much of it is fixable in a it's just going to work itself out kind of way?
1: Um, I think the part that's fixable is more the results more so than the process. Explain. Kuzma is a player who I think is almost always going to have some shot selection issues. I think that he is sort of proven to be in his two seasons sort of a gunner at heart. And with that idea that he can make any shot comes this penchant to shoot any shot. And I think that that can be toned down some. But, like any sort of player who has this potential to be a really fantastic scorer, the idea about how much you want to sort of tamp that down in favor of a more sort of team oriented or, or structured approach, there's a balance to be struck there, right? Like, I remember these great stories that Greg Popovich used to tell. About Manny Ginobili and how he would basically just be so pissed off at some of the things that Ginobili would do, possession to possession offensively. And what he sort of realized over time was, I just sort of got to let this guy play his game and the mm-hmm. results are going to come. Now, Ginobili's a Hall of Fame player. I'm not comparing Kuzma to Ginobili it's more just sort of that that idea of how much do you want to tell him no 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 turn that shot down turn that shot down turn turn that shot down move the ball move the ball when that's not really the essence of his game
2: that's what I was going to get into regarding the answer to that question is he's a bucket getter man like I He's a guy who he's going to see a couple shots go in in the next couple of games. He's going to go on a little streak and he's going to be back to normal as a scorer. That's the part that's going to work itself out after 20, 25 games. He knows how to put the ball in the hoop and he's got a lot of skills that help him do that off of the wrong foot at this angle or that angle where other guys aren't even getting that shot up. He can make that shot. So he's a bucket getter. That's going to figure itself out. The part that I'm concerned with is is all of the terms that I can think of for this are more pejorative than I want to throw out there. But he can get pushed around in the paint and he will concede around the basket on the defensive end in ways that really rub me the wrong way and you just can't do in a, like your mentality has to be different. Like I'm right next to this guy who is in a deep crouch after catching a pass in the paint, but in traffic. Am I going to back off of him? Or I'm gonna send this dude to the free throw line at the very worst. But he's not getting an uncontested layup on me. There were two different times in that Toronto game, and I've seen this happen a few times with him, where there are plays like that in the paint, where he just kind of like throws his hands up and kind of shies away from that contact. That really rubs me the wrong way, but it's not just some like, you know, infuriation. It's like that's gonna be really important that you play with force. When the playoffs pick up in intensity, like that stuff just doesn't fly.
1: No, like I already know one of the plays that you're talking about. There was a play where, and I can't even remember how it developed. And you've watched the tape at least a couple of times. So
2: that's why I'm, that's why I'm irritated when I (laughs) talk about this. Exactly. So, so you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but
1: one play had to be that action where a man sort of maybe cut back door or ended up with an offensive rebound, but he was right underneath the basket and Kuzma was standing literally right next to him and he sort of half-heartedly reached and then just sort of pulled his hands back. Like, I don't want to get a foul Uh, here. And then uh, the guy got an uncontested layup. That has to be one of the plays. That that is
2: absolutely one of the plays, man. That,
1: That stood out to me like nothing else. It may have actually been, and these are sort of, inside trade secrets here, but that might've been a time where I sent you.
2: Is that what that was? (laughs) I didn't know that was what that DMs were. Yeah, we, you know, we be be cussing people out in the DMs when we want to say some things we don't want to say publicly. Yeah, so that one pissed you off about as much as it pissed me off then. No, it did. I had said this to you offline and we've talked on and offline
1: about this in the past about Kuzma is that he just does not always play with, you used the word force earlier. And I think that that's the apt word here is there is a time where you just need to mix it up, you know, like,
2: right. That's, that's not a conditioning thing. That's not something, Oh, it's just my third game back. That's a mentality thing. No, that's
1: definitely a mentality thing. It's something where you just decide, you know what, like no more, I'm not taking it anymore. And I'm getting in here and I'm going to if I have to throw an elbow, a little forearm shiver. And the Lakers have a lot of players on their roster who will do that. And I'm not talking just just big men. Avery Bradley will do that. Danny Green will do a little bit of that. And then, of course, LeBron will do that. AD is not known as the most physical player, but he will take it to your chest and try to ram the ball right on you once a game, a couple of times every other game. And then Dwight Howard will do the same thing. There are players on this roster, I think, who serve as a good example, even Caruso as well. Sorry, I really did want to mention Caruso there too. There are a bunch of guys on, on this roster who sort of can serve as an example for this mentality. And Kuzma's going to have to show some of that, I think, if when it comes to closing time, he's going to be in the game just because this team is building an identity. And that identity in these early stages of the season seem a little bit divergent from the mentality that Kuzma's bringing. And if you're going to be sort of a closing type player for this team, I think you're going to have to show some of that. Am I like off base with that? Kuz works hard.
2: The veterans need to help him grow up as a basketball player, right? Like, Kuz's heart is in the right place. All of the stuff of it, like, yes, he'll post it on Instagram, he'll post it on Twitter, you know, every damn time he's working out, but it's also when the cameras aren't around. He has the respect of people in the building for how hard he works. He doesn't get it though. This stuff that you and I are talking about right here, this is a get it thing. And those veterans who have been through all the wars who know better, they need to show this kid what's up because we need him. He can score the basketball. Those old dudes who have been through the wars, they don't have the talent that he has not as a scorer anyway. So, it is that is one of the real storylines for me this season is does Kuzma grow up over these next 25, 30 games, half a season plus to get to the point where he needs to be come playoff time. All right, we're going to take a quick break and when we get back, we're going to answer some of your questions. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it helps me keep my beard nice and neat while keeping it long. They send the razors right to my doorstep so it's really convenient. has a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip. Listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com backslash bluewire. You get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to start shaving better today. All right. Welcome back. We just had some shenanigans on the technical aspect because we are trying something new. I'm very excited to be introducing on air for the first time our intrepid producer, editor, and my lovely girlfriend, Jeannie. How are you doing, babes?
3: Hi. I'm really good, guys. I'm looking forward to asking these questions.
2: You sound good. Are you feeling comfortable?
3: Yes, I'm feeling very comfortable.
2: (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Do I need to step out? No. (laughs) Now, uh, Jeannie's going to be asking some of your mailbag questions. We got some questions from Patreon. Thank you so much for everybody. We'll get to as many of them as we can, and then I'll answer the rest of them on Patreon. So uh, without further ado, Jeannie, take it away.
3: Okay. The first question is from James. James asks... While the Lakers' defense has started off well, the offense has been around league average. It has been stated that the team feels it didn't get to implement more offense because of the China trip. Do you guys think there is some strategy yet to be implemented that can lead to significant offensive improvement, or is it that the shooters brought in this offseason just need to hit more shots?
2: So, yes, the shooters need to hit more shots. I think, God, I hate saying this because I don't want to believe it. I really think they miss Rondo. I don't think this is entirely just I've talked myself into Rondo because he hasn't played in such a long time that I'm like, oh, maybe he's not that. You know how that goes, right? Like when a guy's out for a long time, you're like, you know, actually, I, he he's not that bad. I'm hoping this isn't it. Because they really need a guy who can create offense, who can be a shot creator. Their offense is fine when LeBron is on the floor. When he's not, they just don't have any shot creation. So I think it's more of a personnel thing right now than anything else. But it is a weakness of the team because if Rondo is out and that can cause all of that, that tells you how thin they are in terms of shot creation. What what do you think in that respect, Darius?
1: No, it's interesting you brought up Rondo. I actually have a piece coming out on Silver Screen and Roll on Tuesday where I wrote about one Rajan Rondo.
2: Coming up for The Athletic, he's on, on our mind.
1: Yes, he is.
2: When you talked about a personnel
1: issue and the Lakers sort of missing what Rondo provides, um, offensively at least, that's, I think, 100% true. At least in terms of his ability to sort of run the offense, run a pick and roll, get guys in the, the right position, be a transition facilitator as well. When you talked about... The Lakers' offense is fine when LeBron is on the court. That's right. When he's not on the court, you know what the Lakers' offensive rating is when LeBron is not in the game, Pete? What's that? It's around 89. Jeez. 89. It's about 10 points per 100 possessions worse than the league's worst offense. The Lakers have been doing a good job of staggering LeBron and Anthony Davis. And when... Davis is on the floor, but LeBron's not on the floor. The Lakers offense is, I think, like posting um, a 104 or so offensive rating, which is okay. They're about 106 for the year. But when LeBron is on the court, it's like 111 or 113. It's it's a pretty good number, right? And, and so the Lakers clearly need someone to sort of fill in The gaps, I think they need someone to help facilitate for Anthony Davis. I think now that Kyle Kuzma's back, they need someone to set up shots for Kuzma as well. And that can't only fall on LeBron James. And we know that Quinn Cook and Alex Caruso, that is not their strength. They can bring things to the offensive side of the ball. What they're not going to bring is that. And so I do think they miss Rondo. To speak to... um, the question at hand, I do think the shooters need to make more shots. I also do think that there are lineup things that need to be worked out. Some of it is just JaVale starting to find his way a little bit more, but it it mostly does come down to shooting. It mostly does come down to shot creation from lineups that don't include LeBron James. Hopefully, Rondo can help address one of those things. And if Frank Vogel's right, and Rondo is shooting the hell out of the ball in practice. Maybe he can sort of help with both.
2: Could you imagine Rondo's our guy that gets our shooting back on track? Not with his passing, but he can actually make open threes. That's just what we need. Just make the open ones. Like, it's it's very frustrating to watch this team shoot right now.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I'm pessimistic about Rondo shooting until he proves it. I'm waiting for one of those games where the Lakers go something like 15 for 30 from three. And it's been more like 10 for 30. Right. 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 Is like sort of a quasi good game.
2: Yeah. They haven't had one of those, like your whole team's really feeling it. And yeah, you shoot like 48, 50 percent, something like that.
1: Yeah. They've had, oh, this is a good Danny Green game. Or look, Troy Daniels is going off. Or LeBron had a night where he's four for seven. They've never had a night where like all of those things have happened At the same time. And when they do, the Lakers will probably score like 135 points. They don't need that every night. Their defense has been holding them down, which is fantastic because I think for the long term sort of trajectory of this team, they probably need their defense to be top five if they're really going to be a championship contender. But they also can't have a defense that, you know, coming out of the Raptors game is 20th overall. Right. Like that's not a profile of a championship team. That's like a profile of the Utah Jazz.
3: Okay, guys, the next question is from Drew. Drew is asking when the Lakers get into a tougher portion of their schedule, do you want to see the load management applied to LeBron and AD? It feels like we weren't going to beat the better teams without both on the floor and related to that. Craig asks about the Lakers' first back-to-back starting Tuesday. What do you guys think either LBJ or AD sitting one of those two games?
2: I'd like to see them continue playing. Darius was talking about the formation of an identity for the team, and I think they're still in the process of of that. This will be the 10th game uh, coming up against Phoenix, and they, they need to just keep... Working at the thing that they've got building, you know, they lost to Toronto, they lost after a seven game winning streak, it happens. But they really need to start kind of formulating that identity of who they are on a night to night basis. And then I think, you know, 40 or 50 games into the season, at that point, you start looking at load management. A little bit more. From hearing LeBron talk, he doesn't seem particularly interested in this, and I think that's worth noting. But AD has the shoulder issue. He seems like he could use a, a day or two off as a result of that. So maybe that happens with AD a little bit earlier, but help willing, I would be looking to kind of keep writing this and keep figuring it out. Where do you stand on that, D?
1: I definitely agree with the first sort of 20 to 25 games being um really strong sort of like let's establish who we are as as a team this is also a brand new team I also think that the stars are going to sort of dictate the mentality in which the players sort of operate with and just like you said LeBron seems very anti the the idea rather than load manage full games I've been somewhat encouraged by the way, at least with LeBron, that Frank Vogel has been managing his minutes within the game. He's been giving him a break typically at the uh, four or three minute mark of the first quarter. He's then been bringing him back for the start of the second quarter and then taking him out again at about the four minute mark again to give him another two-minute blow if he can, right? Like just get a little bit more rest before halftime and then bring, bringing him in to close the half. he He's then been sort of repeating that same pattern in the second half and then sort of playing it by ear, right, for the fourth quarter and, and maybe even sometimes sit, sitting him to start the fourth like he did against the Bulls. So I've been encouraged by that. I'm not saying that he's like load managing him during games, but but I like the way that he's breaking up his minutes ra- rather than just telling him to play, oh, go out there and play a full 12 minutes shift, right? And then sit for three or four minutes and then come back and play another eight minute shift to close the half. And, and then in the second half, we'll sort of play it by ear. So I like how he's been deliberate with that. Getting deeper into the season, I wouldn't mind giving them a day off here here or there, but I do sort of trust LeBron in this. At least mm-hmm. like he's been through yeah. this a bunch of times and I think that he understands how to ramp things up appropriately when it gets to the playoffs and that he's going to have enough in the tank. Now, we're in sort of uncharted waters with his like career minutes and it being year 17, but I still sort of defer to him.
3: All right. The next question is from George. George asks, do you think the Lakers will switch their pick and roll coverage to something like switching up to one through five like the rest of the NBA? I wonder why they haven't tried that with the small lineups like Bradley, Green, Kuzma, LeBron, and AD. Also, what Laker lineup would you use to match up with a Clippers small ball lineup of Lou, Beverly, Kawhi, Paul George, and Harrell, which I think would be their best closing lineup?
2: So starting with the switching, they've actually been doing that a bit with Dwight on the court. Obviously, they'll do that with AD. Probably the two most interesting defensive things I've seen with this team is it's been Anthony Davis kind of on your star wing defender at the end of the game. He he shut Siakam down. Like, you know, they still lost the game because Toronto was playing great in other areas. But AD did a number on Siakam. He was really good against Kawhi Leonard. Holy crap, is Anthony Davis our lockdown wing defender on this team? And that's just not who we're talking about. Along the same lines, you've got Dwight Howard going out there and competently switching onto guards and smaller players. Where did that come from? Those are two really fascinating wrinkles to this team that if they're true, if they're able to bear fruit for longer than just the first 10 games of the season and are a real thing, boy, that's a different team than we thought of going into the season. I don't think they want to switch, Pete. Do you? I don't think they want to. I think Vogel who I've been impressed with how flexible he is, I think he recognizes there are some times when you need to, when that is the best option, and it's something that they need to have at least the ability to go to in the right situations. It may not be their main thing, but it's got to be good enough for them when they need to do it to be able to do it effectively.
1: I'm more of the mind that they're getting caught in switches because teams are screening them so effectively because the Lakers guards have not been very good at getting over picks all of the time. And I think Hmm. that it's been more out of necessity than out of design. I think if... If Vogel had his druthers, guards would, would fight over the top, they would recover, his bigs would stay in drop coverage, and they'd hover around the paint. That doesn't mean the Lakers can't switch effectively, I just think that they don't want to. So in terms of would I like them to switch more, I actually don't. Especially in the lineup, that was part of the question where Kuzma was involved. Kuzma's been getting hunted very early on in the season defensively. And mm-hmm. you and I, Pete, have talked a ton about, and this is a point that you've made a bunch, is that you're only as strong as your weakest link defensively when you're in a switching defense. And if you're going to voluntarily switch possessions especially late late in games you're just going to end up getting Kuzma on to the opposition's best wing offensive player and that guy's going to go to work on him so you're going to see a bunch of possessions where it's Kawhi Leonard attacking Kuzma where it's James Harden attacking Kuzma where it's Donovan Mitchell attacking Kuzma and on and on and on it's going to go and so I'd prefer that they
2: don't switch. It kind of takes away what's made this team special in some respects early in the season is if you're doing that and your possessions are ending in those types of matchups that you're talking about, you are no longer a top three defense, not in that moment, not in that situation.
1: No, I totally agree. And, And as far as the Clippers stuff, I'm still not exactly sure the best way for the Lakers to match up with the Clippers, honestly. Like, I would tend to think that that's going to be A.D. at center, LeBron, Kuzma, Green, and probably Avery Bradley. That would be my guess, that that's the best way to attack things. That said, you're then going to be reliant on Kuzma probably guarding either Montrez Harrell or Paul George.
2: I actually think you can put him on Patrick Beverly, hmm. just to kind of Hide him, I guess, because Patrick Beverly's only going to beat you one way, which is by shooting spot up threes. So from a weakest link standpoint, if we're not switching, you put him on Beverly. You've got, uh, you know, AD and it matched up with Harold, LeBron with Kawhi, Danny Green with PG and probably Avery Bradley on Lou. That seems to make the most sense for each guy's skill set. But if you're not switching, it probably means that you're in drop coverage type stuff. And that's something that Lou and Kawhi, they really eat that up. So it's going to be pull-up jumpers all day long if you face that. All right. What do you got next, Jenny?
3: Okay. The last question is from Jacob. Jacob asks, which is more likely to be the case at season's end? The Lakers having a top 10 defense or a sub top 10 offense?
1: Oh, what's more likely? I mean, right now, both of those things are true, right? I would think it's more likely the Lakers have a top 10 defense. I'm sort of nervous to say that, but that's kind of where, where I'm at. They're like, for, they've been first or second. It would, to me, take injury to knock them out. And I think that they could probably get to a top 10 offense by the end of the year if things start, start to click.
2: Yeah, no. This what is a you, this is a phenomenal defensive team. This is a top five defense in the NBA. The more I see of it, and that was not where I started. They've moved me in that direction. So I think that that's a, I, I think that's real, and I think that stays. All right. Thank you, everybody, for the questions, Jeannie. Thank you so much for hopping on the air. How was that?
3: It was fantastic. Try to keep me off the air on the next pod. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is just catnip to bring you back to find ways that's that's fantastic all right
1: yeah never say the thing that you don't exactly right
2: it's like the wire
1: right don't tell them that you don't want and to be see, on the And see, she boat. messed up.
2: She messed up because I edit the second half of the podcast, or at least that's <laughs> the plan tonight. So I'm in full control of keeping that part in, and so that'll be great. All right, well, this was fun. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time.
0: Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores.
3: There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good,
0: Campbell in and out The ball is tipped And it's saved Three seconds left Here's Van Exel This is for the win He got it Kobe Bryant 48 points 16 rebounds An amazing performance by Kobe shot with his 8th block shot That ties an NBA Finals record A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this You're seeing something that's very rare indeed a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are That's you it. kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasson. Freddy and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietro's jogging back, didn't bounce the it floor. It's
3: a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell There's there the move goes. Two, one, missing. Bryant. Bryant. Yes.
0: And well, that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to <laughs> injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot! I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding
3: me?